0: God, to illumine his word to us. Father, we are, we are here because you've called us, uh, you've heard our, our sin, our failure, you've extended your loving hand of grace to us. Uh, Lord, would you uh, continue to meet with us here? Would you open up your word through the power of your Holy Spirit to us? Father, would we see you and you alone? Would we understand more deeply the grace of Jesus Christ? through what you have to share with us this morning. We pray these things in his name. Amen. I want to look at, honestly, what's probably one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture this morning. It's Hebrews chapter 12. It's a very familiar passage if you've been around church for a while. Um, But I think it really speaks to us about the, the difficulty of the journey of the Christian life. But I also think it provides wonderful comfort and encouragement for us. So let's read together. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Now, as you can probably tell, although I may be hiding it a little bit under this shirt, um, I am definitely not a marathon runner. Um, I hate to run. I grew up playing soccer, and if you know anything about growing up and playing soccer, running is often the punishment of soccer. If we weren't playing well, I had this uh, high school coach, he was from Trinidad and Tobago, he had this really thick accent, and so if we weren't playing well, we had a bad game or practice wasn't going well, he would just blow the whistle and yell, up the line, go, and we just knew we were going to sprint, we were going to run. And so I never understood why people experienced running as a a sport, um, because to me it was punishment, so why would you do that? But I've learned over the years that um, there are people who take great joy, running, They describe this experience of a runner's high as they're out on a long run, as they experience that peace and tranquility. But whether or not you hate running, like me, or you love running, anybody who's a runner, and especially a marathon runner, knows that there's this moment that they refer to called hitting the wall. And marathon runners describe it around mile 22 or 23, where... They just run out of energy, they run out of any desire to continue going forward, and they want to take months of training and quit. Now the fancy term for this is glycogen depletion onset, and, and truly your body at that point is it's done, it's out. You, you can't take any, enough energy to continue going. And so, you know, I've learned from my sister and brother-in-law as they do marathons. I mean, what's more impressive to me about marathon runners is they literally train for months leading up to doing this six days a week. But again, if you hit that wall, if you hit that moment, they just stop right there and they just give up a couple miles from the finish line and don't complete the race. Now, in the passage we just read, the author of Hebrews, he's, he's comparing the Christian life to running this race. Hebrews, it's a unique book in the Bible because it really is one long sermon. It's one long sermon from a, a pastor to a flock of people that he knows well. And we don't know a lot about who this author is. We're not sure exactly who he is. But we know that he cares deeply about this flock of people. And he is writing them to encourage them. He knows his people well. And he knows that they have hit the wall in their race. Now, as our pastor says, he recognizes that, that one of the reasons they've hit the wall is because of the sin in their lives. The sin that they have embraced, the things that they've done, the things that, that cling to them, that slow them down. I was sitting there thinking about, you know, runners. If you, if you know somebody who runs, they have fancy stores and they buy fancy clothes that are probably $50 pairs of shorts that weigh three ounces because you want to have as little weight on you as possible, and so we would laugh if we were watching the start of a marathon and somebody was wearing a big snowsuit. You know, We would know that that doesn't make any sense. But, but again, this, this pastor to the Hebrews, this pastor to us, he knows that, quite frankly, most of us, we run in snowsuits because of the sin and the things that we hold on into our lives. And sometimes for us, this is because of our own actions, the things that we do, the foolish things that we know, the things that we may have confessed about just a few minutes ago in our time of confession. But sometimes this weight is just because of the sin and the brokenness that's in this world. It's there because of the fall. That's there because of the actions of others. And this is very likely part of what he knows is going on in the congregation that he's speaking to. They have faced most likely two pretty intense phases of persecution under the Roman Empire. Now, the first would have come around A.D. 49 under an emperor named Claudius. And this one was actually the lesser of two persecutions, but Christianity was starting to grow in the early Roman Empire, and suddenly the emperor said, I don't like this, they're gaining too much power. So Christianity was made illegal. The property of anybody who was a Christian was seized, and most of them were forced to flee from Rome, to leave everything that they had lived and built up and flee and go outside of Rome and try to start life over. Time went by, and eventually they were able to come back, and they were able to return as as Christianity was accepted again. And so for most of them, this was like 13 miles into the race, and you're feeling that little bit of calf strain. But they were able to keep going. They were able to keep moving along. And then the bad persecution came. If you've heard of Emperor Nero, came into power about AD 64, and he is... Probably famous for one of the worst persecutions of Christians in the Roman Empire. He wasn't just out for their property, he was out for blood. There are stories of him using Christians as human torches to light his courtyards. And so the pastor is is writing to people who have now gone through two series of persecutions. And now they're scared, they've lost everything they once again had to flee a city. And this was no longer a calf strain. This was a place where many of them had hit the wall. And as you read earlier in the book, it's very clear that that for many of them, they had had friends and people from their community, maybe family members who had walked away from the faith. They had given up. They had said, you know what? I'm not sure that the journey to the rest of the finish line is worth it to continue on. And I'm just going to walk away and quit. And those that were left, those that were trying to continue on, those that he's writing to, they're, they're wondering, how? How am I going to do this? Where am I going to find that strength? I want to continue this race. I want to persevere on. I've, I've tasted the sweetness of Jesus Christ. I've tasted this grace that he's offered. How do I continue? I wonder how many of us here are experiencing similar things. Now, I doubt and I'm pretty sure that any of us have faced persecution on the level that we described there in early Rome. But as we look around our world, as we pay attention to the news, we hear stories of Syrian refugees and many of them Christians who are having to flee for their lives under persecutions. We remember just back in Easter when a group of Christians was, was bombed in a park as they were worshiping together. We hear stories from, Atlanta, even though, or from Orlando, even though it wasn't persecution of the church. We're left wondering, when is that going to come to us? I was talking with the police officer outside. I mean, there's a reality most churches have a police officer around them today because we're afraid. We're waiting. We're wondering. We're wondering when this might happen to us. And even if we still feel a level of security, if you pay attention to the campaign trails, if you pay attention to the news each night, we're, we're basically told to be afraid. We're told that the future's uncertain, that the future's messed up. We're often told that one person can specifically fix it although my hope in them is always pretty low. Now maybe you find yourself at the point where you've already hit the wall. Where you're going, you know what, I've, I've walked in this faith for a while and I've hit the wall and I don't know where I have the strength to continue and you're wondering, should I just walk away? Maybe you are not there yet. Maybe you're at mile 13 and you're feeling that calf strain. And you're, you're, you're continuing on, you feel like you have the strength, but you're wondering, is that going to catch up to me? The reality is, I think we face very similar questions that this community, these Hebrews that our pastor was writing to, we face ourselves. So the, really the question we're asking this morning is, how in the face of such fear, how in the face of trials that are coming, how given our own sin, the own brokenness in our own lives, and the brokenness that's all around us, how do we run with perseverance in the face of such uncertainty? I'll tell you, our passage, it gives us one answer. We must fix our eyes on the finish line. Now, the pastor knows that the finish line, it's the only thing in the race that will keep us moving forward. If we stop and look back, if we stop and pay attention to where we're on, we'll we'll feel the intensity of what we're experiencing so deeply that we'll be tempted to quit. But he knows that it is a faith that is looking forward, that is looking forward to the end, that we believe that what we haven't yet achieved, the end of the race that we haven't gotten to yet will be worth it. It will be worth whatever we have to endure. It will be worth whatever suffering we may have to go to. He knows that if we don't have the end in mind, if we don't have the promise of what is at the finish line, that we'll be tempted to just stop and say, this is far enough. Now, he knows this is so important that he's actually spent the previous chapter, chapter 11, a famous chapter where we're given this this whole story of this great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, we're, we're given the story of all of the women and the men of the Old Testament and the church beforehand, how they had gone forward and how they had looked forward in their faith to what they hadn't seen yet. Now, we're we're tempted to think of ourselves as running a race in an arena and seeing these cloud of witnesses as people that that are up in the stadium and they're cheering this on, but that's actually not what he has in mind. He wants us to stop and look at them and look at people that are examples who have finished the race. Just like... A marathon runner who's training, they look to people who have run marathons before and how they have run that race, and they hear stories of what it's like at the finish line and how that spurs them on, and we're called to look to them. Let me give you a, a practical example of this. When I was in uh, college, I went to Wheaton College, and one summer I got to work at their camp up in the north woods of Wisconsin called Honey Rock. Some of you may be familiar with that. There's a number of students from St. Louis often go. And it's a, it's a camp in the north woods, And so it's a lot of outdoor camping. And one of the things that we would do each week as we had campers is we'd take them on a two-night overnight camping trip. And normally it's very cool up there in the north woods. That's why you go up there in the summer. But this one trip that we were taking, it was extremely hot. And we were going to a campsite that I had never been to before. So we're just trying to follow along a map. And one of my campers was really struggling. And so I'm carrying my pack and I'm carrying his pack. Uh, and if you've ever been around me, you know that I am quite a sweater. Um, and so I get thirsty very easily. And it wasn't very long into our hike that I was completely out of water. And the truth of the matter is, about halfway through that hike, I was miserable. And I just wanted to sit down and just stop and just say, hey, guys, let's just clear something over here and figure out how to camp. But there's one thing that kept me going. So I had a map. I'd never been to this campsite before, but I had a map. And the map showed that once we got to this campsite, there was going to be a water pump. And when we got there, there was a pump of fresh, cold water, and I knew that if I just kept going on, not only could I satisfy my own thirst, I could satisfy the thirst of these young boys who are about sixth grade and are dying of thirst as well. See, others had gone to this campsite before me, they had created a map and they had put a marking on a map that there was cool water, which is exactly what we needed at the finish line. This map and those that had gone before me, they were these cloud of witnesses that kept me going, that kept us going as we were continuing on this journey. Now, we don't have time right now to go through this whole list in chapter 11. I would just encourage you, as part of your reading this week, go back, read through chapter 11. Read what these folks faced Read about the faith that they had to keep moving forward, a faith that was looking, honestly, to a reality that they didn't know yet, and how they are this wonderful cloud of witnesses as we struggle and walk forward. But the author knows that when we fix our eyes on the finish line, we can actually see something. That, again, these cloud of witnesses, these women and men of the Old Testament, they couldn't see yet. And he knows that for us, what we see there makes all of the difference as we run. So when our witnesses, they look forward, they look forward to what we say is a hope not yet seen. But when we look forward, we see a hope that has already been revealed in Jesus Christ. And as we look forward, we see him standing there at the finish line. We see him seated at the right hand of God the Father. And the author, he tells us, two things about him, two things that he's done and about who he is that make finishing the race possible for us. The first thing, is, we look at the end, as we see Jesus standing there at the finish line at the end of the race, we're told that he's the founder of our faith. If you've read different translations, this word's translated different ways. You've heard it's the author of our faith, the pioneer of our faith. What it's telling us is that Jesus is the one that he's actually run the race before us, that he's established the course, he's established the trail, and he's established the campsite. He's established our place in glory that comes to us at the end of the race. See, he's both achieved his place in glory and he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. And as we look forward, we can look to him and we can see the path that we are called to run and we can see the one that has blazed that trail for us. Probably the most uh, well-respected commentator on the book of Hebrews is an author named William Lane. And he sums up for us why, it is, why this is so important. He writes, this forward-looking character of faith lends solidness to the realm of Christian hope. Faith celebrates now the reality of future blessings, which are certain because they are grounded in the promise of God. For the Christian, it is the future, not the past, that molds the present. The preacher confesses and promotes the intensity of faith as an effective force which directs Christian life to the future. For the person of committed faith, the future is no longer insecure. Sisters and brothers, as as we focus our eyes of faith forward towards this founder of our faith, we find new strength to endure the race we see a clear promise we see a promise that the race is worth it that the glory that we will experience at the end is better than anything we could imagine and we see that there is nothing that we may face in this current life no trial no tribulation that we may face that would make giving up running worth it there's nothing that would make us want to stop and not get there to the end Now, please don't hear this as a callousness to our suffering. Again, remember who the author of Hebrews is writing to. He knows the suffering that his people had gone through. But his message of hope for them is perseverance. Because his message of hope is that Jesus is the only way they will endure through life and that he is worth it. That endurance in him, that continuing to run this race, no matter what we face... It is worth it. But that still kind of often leaves us a question, okay, that's fine, I know what's forward, but what's for me now? And that's why he gives us a second picture of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. See, He also reveals to us that Jesus isn't just the founder of our faith. He hasn't just blazed that trail, but he's also the perfecter of our faith. See, as we Look forward as we look forward to that finish line. As we focus on the goal of where we're going, if we glance out of our periphery, we see that Jesus is running right along with us every step of the way. He is providing the strength to continue the race. He is providing the strength that we need that that we ourselves can't provide. We hit that wall because we run out. We don't have enough. But Jesus is everything we need to, press through, need to press through that wall because it is his grace and mercy that carries us forward and carries us to the end. So he is the one that is ultimately removing these sins, these burdens from our own life. He's peeling off the snowsuit that we often try to run in. And he's giving us the strength to face the sin and the burdens of the world out there while he himself is promising to overcome those and to remove them when he returns. He is restoring the humanity that we have so that we can run with joy even in the midst of our trials. As we close, allow me to leave you with two places that I hope are places of encouragement. The first is that Jesus truly is enough. Now, I don't know many of you, and even those that I know, I don't, I don't know the challenges that you're facing in life, I don't know what's gone on this week, what went on this morning, what you're facing coming ahead and the weeks ahead. Again, my desire is not to make light or to undermine the challenges of what you're facing. It's actually the opposite. I know from my own life that life is hard and it is challenging and we want to quit. But I know just like the author of Hebrews, our only hope is to fix our eyes on Jesus And that he is truly enough to carry us through and carry us on. I encourage you, keep your eyes fixed on him as he stands in glory. And know that he is the secure promise at the end. But do this knowing that he is with you now every step of the way. As you face whatever is before you. My second encouragement though is this. That as we faithfully run, as you live that out, as you keep your eyes fixed forward, as you run in the strength that Jesus Christ is providing you, as we do that, your life, the testimony of your life is being added to that cloud of witnesses. See, The amazing thing about the gospel story is that Jesus died, he rose again, but he has called now his people to go and model and share that story. And our faithful running, the running of our race, the facing of our trials and the facing of our joys, it is part of God's plan to bless the nations. It is part of God's plan to bless Chesterfield. It is part of God's plan to bless your neighbors. Just as Abraham was called to go from his land so that God could bless the nations, we are called to go and make disciples. Just as Israel was called out of Egypt So that God could make them into a kingdom of priests, we are called by His grace to be that same royal priesthood in our life. How you, how we as God's people live out faithfully this forward looking faith, it is actually God's plan of spreading His good news of grace to the world around you. Be encouraged that what you do now matters know that in everything that we do, we are called and we are enabled through Jesus Christ to live in a way that points others to the promised glory that we ourselves will find at the end. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for passages of scripture that acknowledge the challenge of the life you've called us to live. Lord, you are not a God who is childless to our suffering but you are very aware of the effects of that sin has on our own lives that sin has had on this world around us and Lord you know that we do not have the strength to, to run with faithfulness alone So, Father thank you for your son Jesus thank you for the founder and the perfecter of our faith who despising the shame Took on our sins, took on the sins of the whole world on the cross. But through his resurrection and his ascension to heaven, established himself, his place and glory for us. Lord, help us to remember that, to be empowered by that. Lord, would you use that to care for us as we face the trials and the challenges as we run the the race of our own lives. And Lord, in all things, we pray this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.